On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as loud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. All right, guys. So here we are. 550 medical professionals inside the Air Canada Centre. Not one of them able to stop the Leafs from goddamn choking. Uh, Every year I get this fun little tradition. Thought I'd bring you with me this time. And uh, I'm sitting out on my balcony right now. No studio show um, in previous years. You know, I think after both Boston series, um, our boy Maddie Lang has jumped on. He just kind of raged, right? Like it was usually an easy place to point, and you, and you kind of looked at the big picture and a few different things. But you know, Jake Gardner sucked, or Freddie sucked, or Babcock played Marlowe too much, and Matthews not enough. I don't have the rage in me this time. So, not firing up the whole studio. Not going to spend all night editing to put out something where I don't know how much I really have to say. So this is what you're getting. Me on the balcony, talking through my AirPods. To nobody, really. Which really just makes the humiliation of tonight that much more perfect. It's pitch black out here, obviously. Maybe somebody on the next balcony, maybe somebody walking by, listening to me talk to myself. Not like I don't do it on the podcast, but you feel a little better about it in the studio than you do out here. Every year I get this little tradition to myself that I'll tell you about. And uh, there's going to be some pauses here because I am still sipping on my final beverage of the evening. I got something to do here, and like I said, This isn't going to be edited or put together or whatever. It's just a a stream of consciousness. So if you're not feeling it so far, you can bail out. This is probably all it's going to be. Um, But we did get some questions, comments. It's going to be a show or whatever. So here we are. Um, Take it or leave it, I guess. Um, Every year, I get this thing to do at the end of the playoff series. and, And we talked... Uh, Rob and I joked about it on the podcast weeks ago now that before, long before this series started, weeks before, the the building sent out an email in this condo building I live in reminding people, hey, keep the balconies uniform, right? Not supposed to really decorate, not supposed to have little gardens, you're not whatever. And we joked because people complain in this building every year that I put up a Leafs flag. Now, for those who don't know, I'm here in Ottawa. So I think that might be part of it, but there are an awful lot of elderly people in this building as well. So 
they just like things perfect, right? No variation from the rules, nothing like that. Uh, so there's a lot going on there. So this this email goes out reminding us of it just before the playoffs. And we joked about, is this coincidence? Or is this like an email to the whole building that's really just to me reminding me not to put this flag up? Well, sure enough, before game one, I obviously, I put the flag back up. I, maybe I didn't get the email. Maybe someone else snuck on to the balcony and put the flag up for me. Could have been anyone, really. But I've done this each of the last however many years I've lived in this building now. And what it means when the Leafs inevitably blow it again in the playoffs is that at some point I have to come out here and take this flag down. And typically, it happens after the Leafs are eliminated that night. Because I don't really want to come out in the daylight and do it. It's, it's kind of like that walk of shame, you know. Saturday morning, Sunday morning, see people walking home from their bar, clearly in clothes they wore the night before. Maybe their hair is a little messed up. Um, especially on Halloween, right? Maybe they're having to wear their Halloween costume home because that's all they wore out the night before. You're doing that walk of shame. And I don't really want to come out here in the bright sunlight while all these people, probably most of them Senators fans, but even if they're not, people who weren't happy that this flag was up. I don't really want to come out here in the the bright light of day, slowly, pathetically taking it down for everyone to watch and enjoy my suffering. So it typically happens late night on the night the Leafs are eliminated. Come out here in the pitch black long after everyone's gone to bed. I don't usually bring my AirPods and my phone out with me and talk to myself, but uh, that's the tradition. So decided this time, since we're not going to do the rage pod, not firing up the studio, not going to spend all night editing, what the hell, we'll just bring you guys out here with me. If you want to listen, you will. If you don't, you don't. This needs more ice. Um, it's a little stiff. That's okay. So as I start to untie this thing, The problem, the most frustrating thing I'm running into right now, thinking about this team, is I don't know what to rage at. Like I mentioned earlier, there's always been, it's been easy. It's lose guys, or it's the goaltending, or it's what, you can yell and scream about Matthews and Marner, and that's fine. They didn't produce. They deserve some, some scorn. Not really sure. Rob and I talked about it on the podcast that came out on Monday morning. I think that was episode 835, if you want to check it out after the fact. I double nodded this pretty nicely. I'm not really sure why Matthews is getting less rage than Marner, but I do get it. Like, I, I feel the same way, but neither of them produced. But I am more annoyed with Marner than with Matthews. Uh, I guess it, it just looked... Like, Marner looked scared in Game 7. Like, he just couldn't make anything at all happen. And when you're paying a guy $10.893 million, that can't happen. He can't be scared. He's got to go and get it done. Um, I'm seeing a ton of tweets online tonight. People saying Matthews has played his last game as a Leaf trade, or not Matthews, Marner, sorry. Trade Marner, he won't be back, this and that. And maybe, 
I don't know how you win that trade because the whole league just watched him be the guy that didn't perform and just cave under the, excuse me, under the pressure quite a bit. So I'm not sure who you think is lining up to take that $10.893 million contract off your hands for a pass first guy that just caved in front of the world. I'm not saying this entire series was Marner's fault. It obviously wasn't all his fault, but he does seem to be the guy taking the wrath right now, which is a rare change of pace. It's normally uh, Willie. What happened to my other uh, lace here that I had tying this on? I had this tied down. I'm up pretty high. So I have this tied down in four places. One of my laces is just gone. Eh. Anyway. Um, it's weird. You'd think it must, it should have had to rip or something. Maybe it just came untied on its own. You probably don't care very much about the laces. That goal, the one nothing goal in game seven, it's one where you'd love to have a stop. It's not a good goal that Campbell gave up. But it starts with the turnover from Marner. And as soon as that happened, as soon as he was stripped, I said, this is going in the net. That was long before you saw Jack Campbell's mistake. He was having that type of series where he was going to get roasted anyway. And if everything was going wrong, his confidence was clearly shot. So you just sort of knew as soon as he was stripped, you're like, oh, you're, this is dead, right? This is going in the net so that we could finish raging on this guy. Um, and sure enough, it goes in. But they didn't score till late, till it didn't even matter. Um, I have some time for the, you were without Tavares, you were without Muzzin, but you were still the better team, I think, for most of the series, and it didn't show at all. Um, this is going to be a bit of a stream of consciousness here, as you can tell already. But that's where I'm at. I don't have answers. I don't have... Um, that fourth lease, it's just gone. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. Um, so, I think you can make this argument that Tavares and Muzzin obviously are, are everyone knows. Or with I said at the beginning when Tavares got hurt, that's probably your second most important guy. I'm not saying he's your second best guy. We can talk about Marner. We can talk about Newlander. We can talk about Riley Campbell, whatever you want to do. Your second most important guy. When you build this thing around the top four, it's, it's, it's going to be Matthews on one and it's going to be Tavares on the other. And you can rotate the wingers in and out and do whatever you want to do, but it has to rotate around that. When you drop one of those guys, I think obviously Matthews is your most important guy. And Tavares is your second. Because now your whole way of playing, your whole way your team is built around is gone. You can't just drop Kerfoot in there. You can't just drop Felino in there. It's not going to be the same. It's not going to work. Um, and that's not to say you couldn't still beat Montreal. I think that was absolutely still on the table. After they lost to Harris, they went and won three in a row. Um, so no excuses there, but it does change. The, and then Muzzin, again, I'm not sure he's your best defenseman. He's right there. Like he, uh, he Riley, and Brody 
are really good top three, but he might be your most important. Like if you can make that distinction in terms of the things he brings and the physicality and uh, once you lose both of those guys, it gets thin in a hurry, right? And then you got Thornton skating around who clearly couldn't keep up anymore. Felino's it's gotta be his back the way he was skating. Like he looked just jacked up the whole time and he just got back in there for some depth, I guess, but it didn't work. And so you were banged up, but man, they just didn't show anything. They showed up loose for game five at the beginning and they came all the way back from three, nothing down. Good on you, but you shouldn't have been there. Game six, come back from two, nothing down in the third, tie it up, get to overtime again. And again, good on you for coming back. Why are you down like that again? And so when you're down 2 nothing, 3 nothing in the third in Game 7, at some point, the law of averages just runs into you, right? You're not going to keep doing that, especially against Carey Price. Um, they didn't show up, and, and they didn't get it done. So you have every right to be frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm pissed off. I'm annoyed that this keeps happening. And I, I'm, I'm having this problem... wrestling with keeping it straight, keeping the narratives straight. So yes, they absolutely choked this series away. This is the worst of the bunch so far, but this is the first one where they've been the favorites. When they played Washington in 17, Washington was by far the favorites um, and Washington won when they played Boston in 2018. That first time Boston was by far the favorites and Toronto hung around and made that interesting. And even at times, if you remember in that game seven, they were really coming, right? They were leading, I believe going into the third. Um, and then against Boston in 2019, it was closer. It was more of a pick but Boston was ranked higher and had home ice and all these things. Columbus last year in that we've been over this, what I think of the bubble, in, uh, in 2020, in August, after whatever, I tried not to read too much into it, but I believe Toronto and Columbus had the same number of points. If not, Toronto had one more point. So there, they were favored against Columbus. There's no doubt about that and, and lost that, but I tried not to read too much into that. This one, you were clearly the favorite. You were miles ahead of Montreal. Everyone believed you were the better team. You showed all year you were the better team, and they pissed it away. So what's left to say? What's left to, to say about this season, right? But you got to be careful with the narratives that they choked all of these away. They, this is the first time they've been the favorite. They've been in it. They've been to these game sevens and they haven't won. But this is the first time they've been the definitive favorite and not gotten it done. I don't know if that matters to you. Maybe it shouldn't, but it is... Relevant, just in terms of keeping track of it. What does it mean this year? I, I Or this summer? I don't know. I think... I think as long as Brendan Shanahan is safe, I believe Kyle Dubas is safe. Which probably means Sheldon Keith is safe. This is his first year behind the bench. I guess... If there's someone more experienced out there that they like, maybe they do it. But Keefe is Dubas's guy. But it wouldn't shock me if the pressure from the board or the organization is that someone has to pay for this and maybe Keefe gets fired. 
But I think the only way Dubis is gone is if Shanahan's gone and they decide to go a more traditional route. I don't know who it would be, but somebody more like Lou, that maybe they like that old school thing a little more. I, I don't know. Um, but Kyle's going to have to wear some heat for this. I, I do think he leaned, like I said, back at the trade deadline when he went and got Felino for a first round pick. I didn't really have a problem with bringing Felino in, but I think you wickedly overpaid for him. I said it then, I think so now. Um, obviously, he got hurt, which changed things a bit. I think it's easy to overlook the the Felino deal if you do go deep in the playoffs and he contributes a bit. But to watch him hobbling around injured as you get bounced in the first round, yet now it looks terrible in hindsight. So that's the gamble you take at the trade deadline going into it. And um, they thought they needed some more jam. Like I said, I didn't have a problem bringing him in. I had a problem with the price they paid. And so Kyle has to wear that, right? I also think Kyle leaned way too heavily and Rob and I fight about this all the time. Like the, the way the game should be played and the way some of the media says the game should be played. I think he bought into that too much. As you can hear the buses rolling up here. Uh, end of the line um, for another leaf season too, I guess. Just let that pass. So, yeah, it seems to have thrown me off my uh, my train of thought. Oh, I think Kyle leaned too heavy into the you're too skilled. You know that old school. You need more brawn. You need more whatever. He went out and he got Simmons, who was spent. Simmons showed nothing almost all year. There was a brief, maybe ten games into the season, maybe a little less than that, I don't know, where he played two or three games in a row, where I kind of started to go. Yeah, maybe, maybe there's still something there. Then he broke his hand and he came back and he contributed literally nothing since. And he had no business, if, if they were healthy, he had no business being in that playoff lineup on merit. But he gets in because that's why you got him is for those hard playoff games, right? You need a Wayne Simmons. Eh, I don't know. Joe Thornton is clearly spent. I wonder, it's funny, eh? Uh, he signed with the Leafs back in October or whatever it was. And then he went off to Switzerland to play for the fall. Um, which he's done through other lockouts and, and stuff like that. Um, but I wonder if those games, if <laughs> he'd have been better staying home instead of, you know, he played almost a full season. It seems like he played almost like an 82 game season. I, I have no idea what the actual number is, but between the games he played over in Switzerland and then what he played over here, back to back nights all the time, he never got a chance to got to sit down because of the, the cap reasons like he didn't get any rest and he just looked washed completely by the end of it um it was a reasonable gamble i have said that from the beginning for seven hundred thousand dollars you take that gamble every time but you lost you, you lost that bet um you know just some of these moves to get heavier right gotta be more fit well what are you at least before i knew what this team was whether you thought it could work or not you were heavy on skill like that's what you wanted to bring all the time and you got away from that and kind of became this mishmash of whatever. And then one guy goes down and all of a sudden you don't really have the depth that you thought you did. You had a lot of recognizable names, but not a lot of guys to move up. But I see people ripping on Kerfoot. What did you want from that guy? He was never, ever, ever meant to fill John Tavares' shoes. And I thought he had a really good series for the most part. He was kind of quiet here in the last game or two, but for the middle part of the series, did a really nice job with uh, with Nylander and 
and just plugging away. I don't know whether he'll be back. That's a guy that's going to be exposed at the expansion draft. Maybe, maybe they take him. But yeah, all in all, I don't really like what Dubas did this year. I thought he got away from his plan a little bit. I think a lot of that was pressure from a uh, pressure from above, pressure from outside. Now there is a certain amount when you of responsibility he has to wear by locking up those guys to $40 million. He couldn't have envisioned the pandemic and the fact that that was going to flatten the cap for the next five years. Anyway, um, they were always going to need to find cheap guys around the edges, but in this new world, that problem became even more exacerbated, right? Like you were now going to need to take some real gambles and some of them worked, some of them didn't. Like Jason Spezza, that one's still paying off, right? I would imagine he'll be back uh, for another go with this. I'll be surprised if Simmons is back. I'll be surprised if Thornton's back. I'll be really surprised if Felino's back. Um, you know, some of those pieces around the edges, it, some work, some don't. And I just think sort of got caught up in this what else they're supposed to be went out and got Hutton, right? They gave up a lot at the trade, a pile of picks at the trade deadline to go get Nick Felino, Ben Hutton, and David Riddick. Uh, you know, at the time, the goaltending's in trouble. You needed to solidify that a little bit. It's not like I don't understand why any of these things were done, but when you get bounced in the first round, none of that pays off, and suddenly you're left kind of holding the bag, right? And someone's going to have to pay for that. I wonder... I do think he gets one more. Like I said, I think if Shanahan stays, he'll stay. But maybe the MLSE board is looking at this, maybe getting a little antsy. This year, there was no ticket money to be made. So maybe they're okay with it. It is interesting to note, though, that, you know, the guys who own um, the Toronto Maple Leafs also own Sportsnet. They were looking for the lease to go a lot deeper. That's good for business, good for ratings. You know, where do all these things intersect? Do they want to go in a different direction? As we wind this part down, flag is down. The walk of shame portion is uh, is over as we bring this back in. Um... A lot of questions tonight. A lot of people pissed off. Um, This is the emotional part of it, right? So, I don't know, guys. Maybe we'll see big changes. Maybe we won't. I think... I think there's a very real chance... William Nylander gets traded because Mitch Marner didn't do his job. If you really think about it, they're going to be screaming for change. You can't just roll it all back again, right? Same coach, same GM, same players do this all over again. They're going to be a ton of pressure to not do that. And William Nylander's $7 million contract is a steal for what that guy is, despite what people jumped up and down and screamed when it was signed. 
And Mitch Marner's $10.893 million contract is not a steal. Uh, you can call it whatever you want. It's a guy who has not scored a playoff goal since he signed it. Um, and I think that's part of the venom against it. So I guess to stay on point, maybe he doesn't he doesn't want to go. And there won't be teams, like I said, I don't think there'll be teams lined up to get Mitch Marner after, you know, what he's paid. He's just showed that the pressure crushes him. He's got no track record in the playoffs, and he's overpaid. Now, maybe people would say he wasn't overpaid coming into the playoffs when he was a top five point getter. He's a pass first winger without an NHL quality shot, making almost $11 million. That's going to be hard to trade. So if Kyle's getting screamed at to do something, Willie will be easier to trade. And it's what half the mouth-breathing media types have wanted to do for a long time anyway, so he'd get the pat on the back there for finally doing it. And he's probably going to have to do it for some slow-ass second-pair defenseman. And everyone will go, yeah, now you got some jam. Now you got the tough guys. It's smoked again. Chipping away at your defensive or offensive depth. There is a chance that Mitch Marner's poor performance and where this team finished gets William Nylander traded. And that is fucked up. There's going to be a pile of pressure on cut to do something. People aren't going to want to hear this right now. The smartest thing to do might be to bring back the same core. I won't be shocked if something changes this year. But I don't know how you win any of these trades. Everyone knows you're looking to make moves. Everyone knows you're under pressure and desperate. Normally, when you trade the big ticket guy, you just get pieces back. And they're not going to be pieces that are as good as what you gave up. You absolutely need to change the mix in the bottom six forwards. I don't know that I'd change a ton on defense. I thought Morgan Riley defensively all regular season long was piss poor. But I would say for six out of seven games in this series, he was very, very good defensively. Um, which I've kind of been on the on the horn for a while saying maybe that's the guy that goes. Um, maybe he's your DeMar DeRozan that you have to deal for Kawhi. Now, I started saying that about a year and a half ago. Because he was only making, I think he's making $5 million, If not, it's less than $5 million for something. For what he does... That's an incredible contract, and someone would absolutely take that and give you something good for it because it's such a high-value deal. But now there's only one year left on it. So I don't know that anybody's going to give you as much as they would have a year ago when I said it. But the Raptors had to trade one of the most popular players in franchise history in DeMar DeRozan to get Kawhi to come to Toronto. And, and it was for only one year, but man, it turned out to be a pretty good year, didn't it? So maybe I would have said going into the playoffs, you know, maybe this is Morgan Riley's final uh, run with the Leafs. I don't know after what he did in the playoffs. Something's going to change. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's Willie. Maybe it's Mitch. But there's going to be a pile of pressure to change things. But in terms of what I would do, I don't know that I'd change much. Like I said, I'd shuffle that, that bottom six forwards I think Simmons is gone. I think Thornton's gone. It really sucks about Ilya Mikheyev. It looked like 
at the beginning of last season, he was going to be a real contributor. He's just never quite gotten it back again since the wrist injury. Doesn't look like he can score or really contribute much. He might be gone. I don't like Ingvall as much as everybody else seems to. He might be gone. I don't know what Brooks is. Maybe he's here. Maybe he's not. He wants to play for cheating. Like, that's the shuffling that you're going to do. Hyman is an unrestricted free agent. What's he going to cost to re, uh, cost to re-sign? He looked brutal for most of the series. He looked every bit the guy who just came off an injury and didn't get any games to get back up and running. You know, will he be back? I assume probably. How much do you really want to change on defense? I thought Justin Hall had a bad series after having a very good regular season. That's going to be a tough decision. You know, the left side of your defense is probably set. Maybe maybe Seattle in the expansion draft takes Dermott. But either way, you need to find minutes for Sandine. He's going to be playing the left side. So whether it's ahead of Muzzin or behind Muzzin and Riley, whatever that's going to look like. I just don't know how much there's going to be to change. Does Bogosian want to come back at, at similar money? I was so impressed with him. I thought that was a really weird signing when Dubas brought him in. But he's one of those gambles that did pay off. If he wants to come back at similar money, I would do that. I'd bring that guy back. Brody was a stud all year and continued to be in the playoffs. He was so important for this team. So it might be that you're just tinkering again. You run back the same top four forwards. Just change the pieces around them a little bit. Pieces further down. Leave the defense alone. I think Fred's moving on and Campbell's now your number one goalie at like $1.65 million. That's an incredible trade that Kyle Dubas made. You're going to go and find another cheap guy to, to work with him at maybe 2 or $3 million a year instead of Fred's $5 million. But other than that, I don't know what the big changes are that you make. To me, if it's on merit, like the final thought here, I guess, guys, The Mitch Marner well has been poisoned for a while. He was beloved in the city when he was drafted. He was the young guy, was always singing on the bench and, you know, looked like he was having a good time. And you you root for those little guys, right? He's a Toronto kid. He just loved it. Then you get into the contract negotiation. We start hearing about his dad. We start hearing about how he feels undervalued. And everything turns. It starts to go rotten on you. And he got paid more than he should have. That's a mistake Kyle Dubas made. And he's wearing it now. It's hurting the team now. But fans haven't forgotten it. When he's putting up points, you're willing to sort of push it to the background and be like, ah, all right. But when you go 18 straight playoff games without a goal at $10.893 million, fans are going to be pissed. And they're going to remember the holdout. They're going to remember the pressure that was put on the team. They're going to remember hearing about your dad and how you're undervalued and underappreciated. They're going to remember that you have five times in the last couple of years taken a puck over glass penalty. Like That's such a weird statistic. He has more playoff puck over glass penalties than playoff goals. How is that possible? People remember that shit. And when you don't perform, you're going to hear about it. And so maybe that well has just been poisoned to the point where 
you know, you've gone from hometown hero, one of the most beloved new young Leafs to this thing that just people can't get past it. You can't get past it. The pressure of playing for your hometown team, living up to the contract, all these things, man, it's ugly. It's ugly how quickly that story has turned. And I'm telling you, you're going to be hearing about that all summer. Now that he's the guy that gets stripped on the one nothing goal and it goes down. You're going to see that replay repeatedly every time they're talking about what the Leafs are going to do. On merit, if you were going to trade one of them, that's the guy. I just think it's going to be hard to do. So not many questions there, not many answers. I just, well, lots of questions, not many answers. I just don't know, guys, like what you, how do you get out of this? Are they mentally weak? Like, are we there? Have we decided that now? Outchanced Montreal. Outscored Montreal. They scored more goals than Montreal in this series. Didn't matter. Got goaltending that's better than anything they've had in the last couple of years. Didn't matter. Possession, all these stuff. You can talk about Tavares and, and Muzzin, and those those things matter. But you had a chance to close this out. You're up 3-1. If you win it in Game 5, you don't lose Jake Muzzin because you don't play Game 6 where he gets hurt. A lot of self-inflicted wounds here. This is the first time I've defended Kyle over and over and over. This is the first time I think he's got some really hard questions to answer. This one he built himself. Even last year, like the CC thing, you had Cody CC and Tyson Berry playing top four minutes on your defense. And even that, the CC thing was to get out of Zaitsev, right? You traded five years or four years or whatever was left on that Zaitsev contract to get rid of that deal. And you bring in Cody CC and you just have to put up with it for a year. So there was some things he was doing that were Lou's mess. Lou Lamorello had made a mess for him and he was still having to clean it up. This year, it's all him. All his guys, all his team. And I feel like he caved a little bit to some old school bullshit. Um, And he's going to, one way or another, whether you believe it's all his skill guys that aren't getting it done, whether you're like me and believe that he depleted what he was trying to do in the first place is going in another direction and kind of muddied the waters. Whatever you believe happened to this team, it's his team now. There are no more, well, Lou did this and this mess was left from the last regime. This is all his now. So he will be under tremendous pressure to make changes. What those are, what that looks like, absolutely will be fascinating. The last thing I will say tonight... I'm honestly feeling guilty. Got a little dude in my life. His name's Lucas. You guys have heard about him before on the show. He's six years old. And uh, we live here in Ottawa, right? And uh, I should mention maybe, uh, we haven't, I don't think, announced it on the show yet, that uh, on Friday morning, our pal, long-time listeners will recognize that Canadian Paralympian Amy Burke's going to be on the show on Friday morning. This little guy, Lucas, this is her son. And so I used to tell him all the time, you know, I like the Leafs. You should cheer for the Leafs. And for the longest time, he would say no. He didn't really care about hockey at all and, and these sorts of things, right? Um, but I guess at some point he said to his dad that he was going to cheer for the Leafs. And his dad doesn't like the Leafs at all. And his dad kind of gave him a reaction. And so Lucas now liked that, right? That, oh, this was getting him some attention. 
So then at school one day, they were talking about hockey and he told his teacher that he liked the Toronto Maple Leafs instead of the Ottawa Senators. And his teacher gave him the big, what, Lucas, no, we don't like the Toronto. And so again, now he's getting this, this reaction, this feedback, and he really likes that, right? So he does come back to me, despite the fact that for a long time, he said to me, I don't like the Leafs. Now he loves the Leafs, right? Now they're our favorite team, Matt. We love the Leafs and stuff, which is awesome for me, right? Uh, we have some fun with it. He's got a little Leafs hat now. He and his little brother have been wearing Leafs t-shirts to bed on game night. And I feel so guilty that I may have started him down this path of pain that so many of us know. And hopefully, hopefully this is just a phase. (laughs) He doesn't stay a Leafs fan because this sucks guys i'm with you on this one this one hurts this one's painful you were supposed to win this one and there's no explanations there's no easy out there's no what it this hurts and i would hate to think that i may have started this six-year-old dude down the path of this i'm not necessarily sure i want him to be a senators fan either but I don't know that I would want to subject him to what we keep doing to ourselves every single spring. I'm sure when Michaela's on the show on Wednesday night, she'll have some thoughts. I'm absolutely certain Rob will have thoughts when he comes back on Sunday night. And we'll obviously start focusing on some of these other series and stuff. This, I understand, has been nothing but a stream of consciousness but that's all you were going to get tonight. And I hope it sort of, I think it probably sort of echoes where some of you are at. I'm mad. I'm frustrated. I'm pissed off. I'm annoyed. I'm sad with no easy target. You're going to have to give it a little time back away and then figure it out. Would this have been different with Tavares in the lineup? Maybe, maybe, but you got up three, one without him. You could have finished this off. Two straight overtime losses and then just a total no-show at home in Game 7 is unacceptable. Are these guys just a pack of losers? They dominated that overtime in Game 6. If they score there, we're not having this conversation at all. That narrative's dead. They've moved on. They're a second-round team. They showed the killer instinct everybody said they didn't have. But they didn't. So they didn't, and we didn't, and here we are, still having the exact same conversations. Sometimes the margin is that thin. We'll uh, see you on the next real episode of Tall Can Audio on Wednesday night slash Thursday morning with Michaela. Take it easy, guys.